need to swing, which, which dials need a little bit of a tweak. Now as a church, we, we have identified six key kingdom culture values. This is not new, I preach through these before I'm increasingly convinced that there is so much power in this list. We're talking about values here that Jesus taught and that Jesus modelled. We're talking about values that describe the nature of the kingdom and how we operate within it. It is my list on the screen, it's on um, the display over there. Six um, qualities, number one, positively positive. Number two, always full of grace. Number three, radically responsive. Oh, I'm looking forward to preaching my way down this list. <laughs> Number four is, super, is naturally supernatural. Number five is the fear of the Lord. Number six is the spirit of faith. And the idea is this, in our context, that there are things that we can proactively do to prepare the ground and to open the door. To make room for him. You know, this is how we, how we cultivate a fertile soil. Healthy conditions. An atmosphere right for the more of the Lord. We're going to spend the, the next few weeks leading up to Christmas working our way down that list. This week, we are going to roll up our sleeves and we are going to cover the first two which is positively positive and always full of grace. I have to do two together because Christmas comes in the way. I've got six weeks, five weeks. So the first two are positively positive and always full of grace. Before we start, I just want to press a, a pause right there. Don't you want to live there? Positively positive and always full of grace. Doesn't that sound good? Anyone else have a strong conviction that, that your church is positively positive and always full of grace? Just breathe that in for a second. Pray a very simple prayer. Yes, please. Well, so here's the plan. What we're going to work through this morning. Three things. First of all, we're going to look at why our kingdom culture, particularly in these two areas, is so countercultural. And then secondly, we're going to we're going to look at what positively positive and always full of grace look like worked out in our context. And then thirdly, right at the end, we'll look at how that leads to more, because that's our question, right? So why is, why is positively positive countercultural? Well, here's what I've spotted. I've come to the conclusion at the right old age of 54, I've come to the conclusion that there is just so much negativity out there. Is that just me? Anyone ever watch the 9 o'clock news and, and leave with the feeling the feel of the Fuzzies, no. Anyone else detected an antichrist spirit in the world which is systematically challenging and opposing and breaking things? Yes. 
Anyone else noticed a, a, an exponential increase in brazen, unfiltered opinion? Yeah. An insensitive, ignorant critique. And how quick people are to pull others down without knowing any of the content. I'd say there are two main causes for this avalanche of negativity. It's always the same two. It's the enemy and it's me. And that includes you, by the way, before you laugh too loud. <laughs> Firstly, the enemy is going to try to sow his negative seeds and weeds in your fertile garden bed. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh but to steal and to kill and to destroy. The enemy loves negativity. He thrives on it. And he will do anything he can to stir it. Doubt and fear and anxiety. Competition and criticism. Offense and strife and division. All of those seeds flourish in a negative environment. And then secondly, we as human beings tend to see through two powerful lenses. The first one is magnifying the negative, and the second one is disqualifying the positive. But both of those are distortional thinking patterns. I've preached on these in length in the past. I, I think that by default we dwell on the negative until it drags us down into negativity. And strangely, but I think habitually we, we exclude and minimize and disqualify anything positive. Uh, Joyce Meyerlein, you know, how come it works in life? It's human nature to routinely ignore the 97 good things that happen to us in a day. Well, I am the three negative ones to dominate and depress. Anyone else like that? And here's the danger. We, we keep sabotaging our own lives by habitually looking through these two lenses. Magnifying the negative and disqualifying the positive. Therefore driving our thoughts, is the point, in a negative direction. And we've got a whole world full of people doing just that with the enemy whipping them on. But Here's the good news. And if you didn't pick this up through the songs we sung this morning, you were asleep or were listening. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We serve the Sovereign and Supreme One who is above all and before and Master of all. We serve the one who loves us with an unconditional, unfailing love as demonstrated once and for all on the cross. We serve the one who won a crushing and absolute victory over sin and death and demonic darkness as he marched out of that empty tomb. We serve the one who has redeemed us with his own blood, given us vibrant new life, and liberated us into total freedom and, 
filled us with his life-giving spirit. And so as Christians, we get to stand in light, not darkness. In hope, not despair. In faith, not fear. In victory, not defeat. And in bold optimism, rather perpetual, intoxicating, strangulating pessimism. I don't know what script you have been reading, but in my book, The Lamb Wins, God really is that good. He is for us and not against us. He is actively, Romans 8, 28, working everything together for our good. He has promised Philippians 4 to supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Folks, we should be the most positive people out there. And as children of God, we should stand out from the negativity of this world and be positively positive. It was so good they had to say it twice. You know, we should look and sound different. People should see it on us and be drawn to it. Because the God of glory in us should make a noticeable difference. That's positively positive. I'll tell you what else I've spotted. We live in a world of ungrace. What's the expression? It's a dog-eat-dog world. People are clamoring to climb over you, trying to reach the top. And the worse you look, the better they feel. And that world is characterized by prejudice and bias and competitiveness. It's increasingly opinionated. It's loud and harsh and aggressive. It is like, if you disagree, it's not that you're in error, it's that you are the enemy. Fair game to be ridiculed and abused and cancelled. To which I would say, oh, for a little rest. Here's the good news. The gospel is all about grace. The Bible is one long treatise on amazing grace. I have this crazy idea that our call as recipients of grace is to follow Jesus' example of grace and become agents of grace. Here's a quote I read on X this week, Max Lucado. He said, grace is God's greatest idea that he would treat us according to his heart and not ours. Amazing grace. I love that line. Here is the bottom line. The church should be a haven of grace in a world of ungrace. Really quick, a biblical theory. Jesus stood for and taught and demonstrated radical, extraordinary, life-changing Grace. In his teaching, Jesus' teaching, as we know, was radical. It was countercultural. With Jesus, it wasn't an eye for an eye. Just turn the other cheek. 
was to love your enemy. It was bless those who curse you. It was pray for those who persecute you. It was forgive those who wrong you 70 times 7. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Grace was everywhere in Jesus' teaching. And number two, also in his stories. Jesus told lavish stories of grace that just didn't seem to make sense. Why would you leave the 99 sensible sheep to go find, follow the one, go to one that had got lost? Why would you kill the fattened calf or the prodigal? Think what he'd done. Rather than the faithful one who stayed at home. These stories tell us so much about the heart of God. And the amazing thing about that story is that there was no catch. There was no exclusion clause, just pure, unadulterated grace. Thirdly, we see it in Jesus' actions. We talk about active outbreaks. The, the woman caught in adultery. The, the Samaritan woman at the well. Zacchaeus up in that sycamore tree. <coughs> you know, the Pharisees were shocked at when and how and to whom Jesus displayed his love. And then fourthly, we see it in what Jesus confronted. He ruthlessly attacked the judgmental voices of religion. Jesus stood firmly against legalism, against condemnation, against positional posturing. He stood against self-righteousness and hypocrisy and pride and Jesus repeatedly confronted ungrace. Here's the bottom line again. We have been saved by grace into a kingdom of grace. That would be a great place for an amen. If you're a Pentecostal, be on your chairs waving white hankies at me. <laughs> we have been saved by grace into a kingdom. We should be a people defined by grace. Grace should be our default response. Grace will always be the answer. We are called by the King of Grace to be always full of grace. Amen. Okay. Countercultural. Upside down what Jesus came to do. But let's, let's get real practical here. What do positively positive and, and always full of grace look like worked out in our context here as a church? We'll start again with positively positive. What does it mean to be positively positive within your church family? I have seven ideas. Boom, I'm going to hit you with these. So get your pens out, you've got handouts to fill them in. Number one, we are not unrealistic, but we are optimistic. No, no one said we were perfect. We don't have all the answers, but we have a great God. That is where we hang our hat. Number two, we always choose to build up rather than tear down. Again, this is, this is counter-cultural. I have a theory that no one comes to church to be beaten up. We're already well aware, too aware of our own inadequacy. What did Paul say? 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
The positively positive atmosphere is constantly building. Number three, we will be in and in and in unstintingly encouraging. What, what's the line I, I parrot often? You know, I, I hope that you leave this morning feeling an inch or two taller, a pound or two lighter, and just a little stronger, freer, and bolder. You know, encouragement is a powerful force, and I hereby commission all of you to unleash it lavishly in our positively positive atmosphere. Number four, positively positive looks for the gold in the dirt. Negatively negative is looking for the dirt in the gold. And is very good at finding it and spreading it all over social media. But love believes the best. It doesn't assume the worst. Again, so countercultural. You know, we, we first seek to understand that we, we first walk a mile in their shoes. So I've found it so much better to ask questions than to make hasty assumptions. Because there's gold in that heart. How do I know? Because God put it there. Number five. Oh, there's so much in this lot. I could preach a 25-week series on this. That's next week. Number five, we recognize it's more important for us to be one than for me to be proved right Amen. or to get my way or to manipulate towards my preferences. You see, though being right gratifies the flesh in the moment, it is overrated. Being one in Christ being one in the spirit, being one in his kingdom purposes is the doorway to the blessing and anointing of heaven. Psalm 133. Number six. Positively positive looks beyond the circumstance which may appear to be negative and instead points people to Jesus. You know, the Lord is more than enough. He is our rock and fortress. His grace is always sufficient. His promises are yes and amen in Christ. And our perspective shifts when we see Jesus. Our circumstances look different when we put Jesus right slap bang in the middle of them. You know, we can choose what we stare at. And my advice would be to fix your eyes, not the most negative circumstances, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. And last number, number seven, positively positive, we purpose to be a promise people, not merely a problem people. I have a shock revelation for you. Where there are people, there will always be problems. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. But the power in the promises of God far overshadows any potential problems. See, positively positive sees through the eye of faith and is therefore biased towards the promises and by default magnifies the promises. Whereas negatively negative sees through a lens of fear, 
and is therefore biased towards the problems and by default minimizes the promises. Wow, take a deep breath. There's more to come. I'm still warming up. Number two, what does always full of grace look like in our context? This is the good stuff. Again, seven. Back it up. Number one, we look with compassion at people's hurting hearts rather than judging their affected attitudes and behaviours. I'm going to read that again. We look with compassion at people's hurting hearts rather than judging their affected attitudes and behaviours. Doesn't that sound just like Jesus? Which means we don't make hasty snap judgments but choose grace always. See, ungrace arrogantly assumes it knows. But always full of grace, humbly seeks first to understand. And it asks lots of questions rather than throwing around opinions. Grace takes the time to, to discern what grace sees rather than judging what the natural eye sees. Number two, I love this one. People, always full of grace, people always get the right response from us, whatever they throw at us. This is a great challenge right here. But this means that we love first and we ask questions later. But this means that our love is prepared to bounce back time and time and time again. This means that we forgive 70 times 7 and staunchly refuse to take offence. This means we bless by default and we resist the temptation to curse. Because the ungrace lashes out and it overreacts and it jumps to conclusions. Whereas always full of grace pauses and discerns and chooses to respond out of spirit rather than flesh. Number three, always full of grace is demonstrated, it demonstrates the power of grace by consistent outpourings of kindness. Which means that everyone receives a warm welcome. Everyone leaves feeling valued. People in a mess feel at home. Again, yeah, doesn't it sound like Jesus? Why? Because grace reaches down and picks people up, rather than looking down on them with a the condemning glare that they are used to. And for always full of grace has, has, has an implicit understanding that, that everyone is on a journey and, and we can't expect everyone to be in the same place. Don't judge or criticize or alienate people because they're not perfect yet. Grace reaches out to meet people right where they are. It is a line. Grace doesn't so much demand change as facilitate change. Because yet here's the mindset. Everyone is on a journey and we have the privilege of helping them to take a step forward. And you see, grace opened those doors. Whereas judgment and prejudice and condemnation and criticism 
close them. You're doing well. Hang in there. Number five. This one's for me. We humbly accept we have only ever one raspberry from needing grace ourselves. I couldn't think of a better way of expressing it. Ain't that the truth? And because that is the case, we willingly offer others the grace we ourselves would dearly love to receive. Number six, nearly there. Truth must never be divorced from its partner, grace. Remember John 1, uh, verses 14, 15, 16, which said, Jesus came full of grace and truth. So truth must always be expressed with grace, point people towards grace, and offer <coughs> grace. See, even when showing tough love, Jesus always offered the path to redemption. But equally, when he was offering people the path to redemption, he also always told the truth. We were caught in adultery, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. But go, sin no more. Grace, truth. And last one, number seven, always full of grace, challenges ungrace. He chases it out. Jesus did. He cleansed the temple courts with a whip. He corrected the Pharisees at every turn. So let's work together to cultivate that soil and to pluck out any graceless weeds. People are demonstrating ungrace. Call them out. Okay. Whew. You're looking at shell shots. You okay? What terrified living daylights out of you? Okay, let's get to the really, really, that was good. This is really, really good. How does all of that lead to more? How does it lead to more? Much I could say, but just quickly. Primarily, positivity and grace help people to open up rather than close down. You see, negativity and condemnation erect walls. But positivity and grace pull them down. Negativity and condemnation harden hearts. But positivity and grace soften them. Let's ask this question. What is holding us back from the more of the law? Now that could be for you personally, that could be for us as a gathered church. What is holding us back from the more of the law? Oh, if we need to answer that question. Whether that's in our own hearts or prayer lives or in our own walk with the Lord, 
What can we do to break down those walls and open those doors and soften that heart? Whether that's in our homes and families, in our relationships, whether that's here in the church. And the conditions that we need to keep working are the six kingdom culture values. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said in part one, you do not reap supernatural fruit in a negative environment. If weeds are growing unchecked, if the soil has been poisoned, if disease is attacking the fruit, you are slamming the door on the war of the Lord. It's an unhealthy environment. But the flip, in a positive and healthy environment, bursting with encouragement, hope and optimism and faith, people begin to open themselves up to the law of the Lord. They also said, number two, you do not reap supernatural fruit in a judgmental environment. People flourish where there is lavish grace. Grace to learn and grace to grow, grace to make mistakes, grace to be creative. And his life, in the place of grace, people find the confidence to soften their hearts. I'll say that again, that's a significant line. In the place of grace, people find the confidence to let go a little bit. To break down those resistance, to step out, to let God in to soften their hearts. And in doing all of that, they open the door then to the healing power of God. And then that flower starts to bloom. That river starts to flow. And that ripe fruit starts to grow. So our repeated question through this series. What can we do to open the door to the more of the Lord? How can we shift that dial in the direction of positivity and grace and responsiveness and the supernatural and the fear of the Lord and the spirit of faith? How can we shift that up? How can we increase that spiritual temperature? How can we get that pendulum swinging? The answer is we need to get that pendulum swinging towards positive and positive, towards always full of grace. And I am convinced, I remain convinced, utterly convinced, that if we do more of that, then we will see more 